If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. And we'll be continuing John 15. We started that last week. If you were here, or if not, you tuned in online, you got to see that kind of first part of John 15. Well, today we'll begin John 15, verses 9 through 17. Now, one thing about us and, you know, our family is we like fruit. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, any given time you may, you know, come to our home, you know, unless, you know, it's grocery week or something like that, you'll find, you know, fruit, you know, in our home and, uh, you know, fruit somewhere at least, you know, whether it's on the counter or in our refrigerator, uh, you'll find apples, you know, bananas, oranges, kiwis, you know, uh, raspberries, blueberries, and, you know, two of my favorite, you know, strawberries and mandarin oranges, you know, so if you ever think about me and fruit, those are my two, (laughs) so you'll find those often in our home. Now, as much as we like fruit, as you know, it doesn't always last, right? I mean, you have to, you have to get to it in a timely manner, (laughs) or or that fruit's going to go bad, and so it doesn't, it doesn't remain, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't abide. But you know, it, it's not just that that's true of fruit, right? That it goes bad over time or that it doesn't last. And there is, there is much in our lives that doesn't last. You know, if you think about it, you know, 100 years from now, what will be left? What is not only on our kitchen counters... But what is in our home right now? I mean, even less time, you know, 50 years from now. And so speaking of our house, I mean, what about our house 100 years from now? What will be of it? You know, what about our cars? You know, we labored on all these things, you know, we saved and we spent and we did all this. But what about them? What will be of them 100 years from now? How about your stuff? You know, all the things that we so like and treasure now, and it's not wrong to enjoy the gifts that God gives us. But what of them? What about you? A hundred years from now. I mean, a hundred years from now, most of you will not be alive anymore. You're there in the pew at this moment, but you will not be there a hundred years from now. I won't either, unless I live to be 138 years old, which I don't know. I mean, I guess it could happen, but, you know, outside of the biblical record, I think the longest someone has lived is 122 years, at least in recorded people keeping track of ages and things like that. So all the things you have now, it won't last. And if you're putting your hope in those things, or even in this building, like, man, we got to really aim to make this building the thing. It's not going to last either. And so the massive question over our time now and this moment is, what are you doing? What are you living for that will last? What will be the thing 
that will endure past you. Even more, what are you, what are we doing that will last beyond this world? Well, here in our passage this morning, we are called to abide, to remain, not in trusting in this world and its things and its stuff and everything else, but we are called to abide in trusting in Christ. We are called to aim at fruit that does not rot, does not spoil or ruin over time. Let's see this then. Let's turn to John 15 to see this beginning with verse 1 for context's sake. So verse 1 to verse 17, may God bless his fruit-producing word. So Jesus says here to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you will, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Amen. These verses here, as we saw last week, and as we kind of read through them, hopefully as we did, a lot of the pieces and everything, as you're seeing this, kind of picture come together it all makes even more sense as we're walking 
along these verses here. And so these verses, verses 9 through 17, they come right off of Jesus' analogy of the vine and the branches. And Jesus, he is concerned with his branches abiding in him. And so his branches, they are the ones who remain. They're the ones that last. They are the ones that don't go anywhere. And so their fruit is real fruit. It, it also stays, it lasts, and so the Father is glorified. Now, in light of everything that we just saw here, you know, and Jesus saying all these things, I mean, we, I think we even asked this last week, I mean, we can ask the question now, does fruit bearing really matter all that much? I mean, he talks about it again and again and again, but does it really matter all that much to you as a believer in Christ? Well, let's just read there verse 8 again. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Prove. It's not saying you have to earn this, but it's saying flowing out of the reality that Christ is your life. You're part of the vine. You know him. Out of that then, you're going to bear fruit as evidence, as proof that you really are part of the vine. You're not fake. You're not just professing it with your mouth. I mean, Megan and I were talking about this week, you know, just even of Israel... You know, many of them very likely, you know, in the Old Testament, they knew something of God and they could even tell you of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and everything else. They knew of the history and so on. Maybe if you got right then and there before the judgment when God was going to bring out the exile, you could meet these various people and talk to them and say, oh yeah, I know about all that. But they had no fruit. They didn't truly know the vine. They didn't truly know their God. I think you could say the same thing of many people who profess to know Christ today. They would look exactly like Israel. They could say that same thing, and yet there is no fruit. My. Prove. And so fruit is no small matter. Jesus is the true vine and branches in him do produce fruit. They do. And so now we have, with verses 9 through 17, then this kind of further explanation of everything he's been saying in verses 1 through 8. And so as we come to these, we see that this abiding is tangible and that abiding is tangible. And so the word here, abide, itself, it just, it just means rather simply stay, you know, remain, you know, reside. You're not going anywhere kind of thing. And so Jesus, he says, abide in my love. Now, before we kind of go off the deep end when we hear that and think, man, you know, I'm going to go in a forest somewhere and I'm going to abide in the love of Jesus. You know, like, it's just like deep mystical kind of, you get in this delirious kind of drug-induced state, you know, I'm abiding in the love. You know, that, that, that's not, 
what Jesus means here by abide in my love and kind of meaning all those things. And so let's not make, you know, kind of make up something here and make up what Jesus means here, but see that he tells us, we don't need to wonder, but he tells us what he means by abide in my love. We don't have to wonder about it. We don't have to make it up and like say, I need to become this kind of mystical figure and, and have these crazy things happen. Now, before we kind of look at that directly, what he means, we see here or there in verse 9, we see the incredible love of God. The incredible love of God. And so Jesus, he starts with these astonishing words. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. I mean, wow. What a thing to say. I mean, at, at that, we just, I mean, we're like, whoa, you know, how humbling we should, how humbled we should be by those words. He wouldn't just love us, but love us with this kind of grand, ma- lavish, magnificent kind of love. And it's, it's not even comparable, like, I mean, it's hard to even fathom. I mean, this verse is so incredibly deep. Like, how do you wrap your head around it? Now, as we seek to try to do that here in a second, let me just kind of make a qualification here. It's an important one. And this this passage or this verse, verse 9, it is not saying that God loves us as much as he loves himself. He loves us, yes, but not more than he loves himself. And that may sound odd to you. You may be wondering, what? <laughs> you know, what does that mean? Well, if God, he loved anything more than himself, we, we would need to wonder if he is indeed God. If something out there is more worthy of love than God... We don't need him. We need whatever that is. Yet God, as we know from 1 John 4, 8, he is love. And that is that's such a deep, profound thing by itself, which we won't plumb the depths of this morning, but it means he has eternally loved himself within the Trinity before time began. He was entirely, completely satisfied in himself, needing nothing, not needing you, not needing angels. He hadn't made them yet. He was entirely, completely satisfied in himself. Sufficient. He is enough for himself. Otherwise, if we say he's not, we need to say, I need that other thing that is better. That would be truly God. But that's not the case. God is the one most worthy of our love and of glory and of our worship. All we do, as 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, is be done for his glory. So God is above all. He is of highest value, of greatest worth. And in him, we find all we need. He is a fountain of infinite supply. 
for us. And so if he loved anything more than himself, he would be angling us away from what is most worthy of our love, whatever that may be. But we don't see that in the Bible. We need him. He does not need us. Even now, he does not need you or me. As Paul, he, he is preaching and talking to the Athenians and the Areopagus, he He says in Acts 17 to them, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And this is part of why idolatry is such a problem. Adultery is a problem, but I'm talking about idolatry is such a problem It is always setting our love, our worship, and our adoration and our hearts upon things that are less worthy of glory, less worthy of our love, less worthy of our worship and our adoration. They are things that cannot truly satisfy our spiritually hungry souls. And so as we kind of continue to love these other things, they will always not finally and fully and completely and ultimately and infinitely satisfy us. So food is not going to do that. Family is not going to do that. And fun is not going to do that. And so he doesn't say, love yourself with all your heart, soul, and mind. What does he say? The one who is most worthy Love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. He is worthy. He is the object upon which all of our love is to be set. And so now we see this. And and so this isn't a matter of like degree. How much does he love us? More of manner. How does he love us? How does he show us his love? So with this qualification, this does not make God's love less glorious in seeing all of that. It actually makes it more glorious. It makes our jaws drop more. Not less. It makes this verse all the more incredible. What do you mean he loves me like that? You know, he doesn't need me. Why would he love me like that? So have I loved you. And so this is saying, as the Father has loved Jesus with an indomitable, unconquerable love, so Jesus has loved us with a love that is unshakable, without beginning and without end. A love that surpasses Knowledge, as Ephesians 3.19 says, it's a love that is unassailable. It won't go away, and it will not change. Praise the Lord. Thank you for loving me. Why would you do that? But you do. 
So as the Father's love for Jesus is sure, so Jesus' love for us is sure. And he doesn't just kind of say that. What does he do? He demonstrates it all the way to the cross. So it's true, it's real, it's authentic love. It is the kind of love that verse 13 says here, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so all of this calls us to worship and be amazed and wholly trust him, not less, but more. And so it calls us to hear his words then, there, abide in my love. This surpassingly great love of God. And so here it is then that we get back to the tangible nature of this abiding. So this staying and remaining in his love. And we aren't to guess, like I said before, but we're to see here first that abiding means keeping his commandments. Keeping his commandments. And we see that expressly there in verse 10. It says, if you keep my, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So you, you abide by keeping his words. And he compares this to his own example. As he has kept his Father's commands, flowing from his love for the Father, so we are to do the same out of our love for Christ. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like Jesus. <laughs> it looks like Jesus. His, it looks like his glad submission looks like his humility, his honoring, his love with feet on the ground. I'm demonstrating it for you, the Gospels. My whole life is in honor of the Father. Every word he says, I do. I love the Father. Amen. And so then, he's saying, as I do that, out of your love for me, You'll do the same thing. It's tangible. You can see it. And so it's not merely kind of saying you love like Israel would have done, like many do today. And it's not merely saying you love your spouse, but it's showing love to him or to her. It's not merely saying you love your children. It's actually showing them you love them. It's not merely saying that I love sinners. It's actually doing it. And so Jesus didn't just say, I'll die for them. But he did it. There's what keeping his commands looks like. Now you might, you might think to all of this. Hearing all this commands, 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 you know, again and again. And he, it's not the first time he brought it up there in John 14 as well. You can say, wow, that sounds great. I'd rather watch paint dry. I mean, keep his commands. I mean, commands just doesn't sound, you know, it doesn't sound amazing. You know? it just, I, I'd rather watch paint dry than do that, you know. 
And I just, you know, we say to that, how far we've gotten away from the word. How, how many ways we've become so entangled with our sinful hearts rather than letting our sinful hearts be conformed to his word. He doesn't give us dirt here, but he gives us food. He gives us joy. And so it is that we come to verse 11 and he tells us these things for our joy. For our joy, he says in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So Jesus, he has joy, he gives joy, and in him, joy abounds, it overflows. So obedience, it is not a hindrance to joy, but it actually is, it leads to it. As Jesus does all, his, all he does, his joy overflows as his joy flows from his relationship with the Father. And so our joy in Jesus, in God, will overflow as we do all the good pleasure of our Savior. So our joy, it's derived from Jesus and from God and from our relationship with him, which makes a lot of sense with this vine and branches analogy. You just totally need Jesus every hour, every day. You're the branch. You're dependent on him for everything, all that joy, everything else. The only way you're going to have it is by filling your heart and life with his words. Remember last week? And part of filling your life with his words will mean ah, tangible. You'll live it out. You'll bear fruit. What branches don't bear fruit? The dead ones. And so what does this mean? This means the more you die, the more you will live. So, contrary to what we think, I'm missing out if I die. But no, no. You need to die, so you won't miss out. You won't miss out on this joy, in verse 11 joy. The more your own demands, and the more self is put to death, the more joy will be in you. So in this way then, our joy is to overflow also. So obedience is not this kind of joy killer. Instead, out of love, you obey, and as you obey, you draw from the source of joy itself. And in doing that, you may have joy to the full, like Jesus says. Amen. And so this is not, not going to be a joy you're going to have by wallowing in yourself. Like a pig in the mud, mud, mud kind of thing. You know, just all about you. Life's about me and everything I got going on or whatever else. It's, but this is what I want. This is where I'm going. This is the thing I'm doing or whatever it is. It doesn't come with that or this is the way I've, I've suffered or this is the hard times I've been through or whatever it is. It comes from standing in the sun. The more you know of him, 
The more you know of Jesus, the more you delight in him and take delight in him, the more you love him, the more you live for him, the more your joy will abound. And we come back to die self. Lord, help me to die more. (laughs) To die daily even. And so we see that it's kind of the first tangible aspect of abiding. And then we see the second tangible aspect of abiding. And abiding also means loving one another. Loving one another. So with verse 12, you might remember in John 13, Jesus, he talked about this new commandment. We're to love one another. We'll hear We're told it again as, and he he gives it here, you're to love one another, but how? As I have loved you. (laughs) That's big. I mean, we just saw in verse 9 this incredible, massive amount of love, and now it's like, as I have loved you. What great love we are to have for one another. So Jesus compares our love for one another to his own sacrifice for us. And in loving one another, what will happen? Joy. Joy. Joy for you. Joy for your brother in Christ. Joy for your sister in Christ. And joy for the body of Christ. so you want joy church we need to be doing these things because we love him you know it's just all flowing from that I, I love my lord and i love to do what he says i love to love others i'm not perfect in that but i'm going to aim at it with everything i am and he says here now, the disciples, you know, they, they aren't, and we aren't simply called servants either, right? You know, servants just do as their master says, and so he's not just saying this is all duty. Just do it, you know? No relationship. You're just obeying commands. That's not, that's not what he sets before us. Your servant has no, have no intimate relationship with the master Instead, here we see that he calls us friends and his friends. But lest you kind of miss it here, in verse 14, he also says, if you do what I command you, he won't let you off the hook. (laughs) You know, if you're like, okay, you know, I'm a friend. You know, he, he is serious about us keeping his words. You know Jesus Christ. You're not trying to earn life with Christ. You're not trying to earn relationship with God or none of that. He's saying you are in the vine. And as those who are in the vine, you're to keep his words. You're not being legalistic. This isn't about your salvation. You have that. If you know Jesus Christ. But he is serious here about every single one of us who say we know him to do what he says. To do what he says. 
So do you think Jesus cares that you hear him here? Out of our love, we obey. Out of love, we love one another. Because we're in the vine, we look vinely. <laughs> we look like we're part of the vine and not unlike the vine. And so flowing from Christ, let, let your branch yield in abundance the fruit of love. You know, I, I find war stories rather you know, interesting and, and none of that to take away from the, the reality of all that these people went through in, in war and things like that. And maybe you have even, but just learning from them and even gleaning so much from these people who just gave their life again and again. You know, the stories of like George Washington and his men at Valley Forge, you know, the story of Louis Zamperini, you know, in World War II as well. You know, the men of Easy Company, the 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment, so Band of Brothers on HBO series, if you know that. The story of the Navy SEALs, you know, and Chris Kyle and Marcus Luttrell and others. Well, there are lessons for us there, you know. I mean, again and again, these men, they are just laying their lives down for one another. I mean, so much to learn from that. And, you know, and we're certainly not called to any less than that, but our example isn't them, right? Who is our example? It's Christ. It's Christ. And so it is then that Paul, he writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, let love bears all things. Just, you know, just think of how many times, you know, People just, they get hurt and they're just gone immediately. Well, is that loving? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so, yes, that kind of love, I mean, it will hurt. (laughs) You already know it hurts. That kind of love, I know it hurts. I've been hurt many times before. But is it really love if it doesn't hurt? I mean, if you say you're part of a family and you've never been hurt before, you say you've never been hurt before, you are either lying or you are lying. (laughs) That's only options. You're going to be hurt in the family. I mean, love gets hurt and it keeps going. If you want an example for that, Jesus, his love meant he got hurt maximally because he loves you. He would go to the cross and bear all that, persist in it, all the way to death, being risen from the dead for us. That's certainly a persistent love. So it loves sacrificially, and our love is to be like Christ's, though hated by all, he loved us to death. And so all this, that as we see there in verses 16 through 17, 
we may bear fruit and bear fruit that abides. Bear fruit that abides. And so we are to abide in Him. And, in, and abiding in Him in, in these kind of ways, so also will our fruit abide. Now, if at this point you're thinking, you know, Pastor, you know, look at me. I, you, you don't even know how well I abide in Christ. I'm the living emblem of abiding in Jesus, you know. If you're thinking that, you know, just let's go on here and let's just let Jesus remind us of something important. He reminds you that if you know him, you know him because you were chosen by him. Period. And so he answers you, answers the disciples, or at least tells them this. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. So if they were all kind of getting high and mighty at this point, you know, thinking, oh man, you know, great, Jesus is right there. That means we're good, you know. He says, no, 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 I chose you. And same for every one of us in this room. And we just hear that, we fall on our knees and and see how he is reminding us of the gospel. He reminds us of the, here of the centrality of God, of our need for him, of the vine, in every single way, of our having been lost, but he found us. He came for us. Of him being the vine, and us being the branches, in every way I need you. So, humble pie. Just eat some this morning because you need it. I need it. And so as he gave the great commission to his disciples, he has given it to us that now as our master and as our friend, he sends us out and we must go. And so this is the fruit that will remain. He says in verse 16, I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So this is not fruit that won't last. This is not fruit that goes bad. We're to go out and aim for fruit that lasts. We're not aiming at apples or bananas or strawberries or oranges. It's not like our houses or cars or this building. It is to remain And what is this fruit? Well, people. People. It's the lost. It's your one. We began this year with vision to pray, committing ourselves to community, and ask the question, who is your one? So 100 years from now, What will be our legacy, church? Are we just kind of really investing ourselves into this world? Are we aiming higher into greater things? So let us aim for people. Let us aim for gospel fruit that will remain for generations to come. So what of your neighbors? 
what of your children? What of your grandchildren? What of your family? What of your co-workers? Let's labor towards this end and let's ask the Father in his name, Lord, grant us fruit and much fruit. Help me not waste my days or my life. May I leave a legacy of people for the sake of the glory of God. And this task is for you, it is for us, and it is for us right now. And so, may you amply bear fruit that lasts as you gladly abide in him. Let's pray. Father, what a burden there is, Lord. I don't mean a burden in in respect to your commands, but just a, a burden over the church in America to take heed to these words, to take heed to the call to be not just those who say a lot but do nothing, but those who are not just these, these who go around lukewarm and, and it just doesn't mean anything. It's only a name only. We're not called to that. We're called to lives that say Christ is my life in all my imperfections, with all my sins and all the mistakes I make and I will make. is our life and may it so be may you help us lord as believers in christ to grow thicker skin skin that's made of love that models the love of christ and walks in the commands of christ and lets his words abide in us and the joy that will be evident to all so lord we pray for this we pray for your hand We thank you. We ask for your help and grace towards us this morning and grace for anyone here or online who doesn't know you, that you would help them to see the way forward is not more self, but the death of self through life in Christ. May they put their faith in you and believe and be saved. So help us, Father, as we respond now in the song. May our hearts be yours. In Jesus' name, amen.